This week, Marble Ridge's fraudulent transfer claims against Neiman dismissed. Judge Drain declines to rule on motion to enforce Sears ESL asset purchase agreement. Baupost reveals it holds $2.5 billion in PG&E wildfire subrogation claims. PHI debtors defend, quote, creative blue torch loan. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the week in Reorg. Hello and welcome to the Reorg podcast where we each week bring you the latest top developments in high yield and distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Karen Lang reporting from Reorg's offices in New York City. And I'm Connor Skelding. Later, Mark Fisher sits down with reporter Harvard Jong to discuss certain middle market restructuring candidates. Companies they'll talk about include Bellatrix, Alta Mesa, Cloud Peak, and MoneyGram. It's Sunday, March 24th. Judge Tanya Parker dismissed with prejudice Marble Ridge's claims against Neiman this week, finding that the hedge fund lacked standing to bring its fraudulent transfer lawsuit against the company. Marble Ridge's lawsuit alleged that Neiman had orchestrated a scheme to loot its subsidiary, Neiman Marcus Group Limited LLC, by transferring approximately $1 billion in desirable MyTeresa assets to the parent, quote, for no consideration. Judge Parker also heard oral argument on Thursday, taking under advisement Marble Ridge's amended request to dismiss Neiman counterclaims for defamation and business disparagement. In light of Judge Parker's dismissal of Marble Ridge's fraudulent transfer lawsuit, Neiman's counterclaims against Marble Ridge are now the only live portion of the Texas state court litigation. Neiman alleges in its counterclaims that several statements made by Marble Ridge in a series of published letters and a press release were of a false and defamatory nature and constituted business disparagement. Judge Parker did not indicate when she would issue her ruling on Marble Ridge's dismissal request, which was filed pursuant to the Texas Citizens Participation Act, or TCPA. Also this week, Reorg published a waterfall model estimating a range of potential recoveries for Neiman's existing creditors under the potential exchange announced March 1st, so please ask your salesperson for details. In the Sears saga, Judge Drain declined to rule Thursday on the debtor's motion to enforce the asset purchase agreement with ESL Investments affiliate Transform Holdco. The debtors informed the court that they had reached interim agreements with Transform on two of the three, quote, baskets of disputed funds in the APA. After hearing arguments on the third issue, Judge Drain determined that he needed more information on the contracts at issue, directing that the matter be adjourned until April 18th for further briefing. The judge also did not rule on Transform's motion to mediate, determining that mediation was premature at this stage. During Thursday's hearing, counsel to Transform from Cleary Gottlieb also informed the court that Transform has, quote, substantial claims against the estate for breaches of the APA, and if they cannot be reconciled, there will likely be a contested proceeding. For the UCC, Ira Dizengoff of Aiken Gump discussed negotiations between the debtors and the committee over a plan of reorganization as well as administrative claims. Dizengoff stated that the UCC has, quote, serious concerns about the number of 507B claims, that is, super-priority adequate protection claims. Specifically, Dizengoff said that the UCC is not sure whether the debtors will have enough cash to satisfy administrative claims, but that it is too soon in the process to know. 
The PG&E Ad Hoc Subrogation Group disclosed this week $10.1 billion in wildfire-related claims in a 2019 statement, plus approximately $135 million of senior notes. That's as of February 28th. The largest subro claim holder in the group is Baupost, with about $2.6 billion. Next is Farmers Insurance Exchange, disclosing about $2.3 billion. Together, these two represent roughly 49% of the group's total disclosed claims. Other sizable holders include Allstate, Nationwide, Travelers, and Liberty Mutual, all with between half a billion and a billion dollars. On Monday, the PG&E debtors filed a motion to dismiss the class action adversary complaint filed in the debtors' Chapter 11 cases concerning the November 2018 campfire. That complaint alleges, among other counts, negligence and inverse condemnation in seeking redress of injuries from that fire related to economic, real property, personal property, and evacuation damages. In seeking to dismiss the complaint, the debtors argue that the adversary proceeding is a, quote, improper attempt to circumvent the claims administration process. Specifically, the debtors contend that the complaint seeks to litigate stayed pre-petition claims. A hearing on the motion to dismiss is scheduled for April 24th. Judge Harlan Hale granted first-day relief to the PHI debtors at a hearing that began on Monday and concluded on Tuesday. Ahead of the hearing, Delaware Trust Company, indenture trustee for the five and a quarter senior notes, filed a limited objection to the debtors' cash management motion, and the objection was resolved after the debtors agreed to provide the trustee with weekly reporting as requested. Nevertheless, most of the first day hearing was spent on witness testimony and remarks relating to the arguments raised in the indenture trustee's objection. In the filing, Delaware Trust said that the debtors had engaged in, quote, offensive pre-petition conduct to benefit insiders and argued that PHI's pre-petition entry into a $70 million term loan with Blue Torch Capital on March 13th, shortly before the bankruptcy, was the debtors' attempt to secure the benefits of dip financing without the accompanying reporting obligations and court oversight. Thomas Califano of DLA Piper for the debtors said on Tuesday that the court had overseen a, quote, very strange hearing at which the trustee attempted to, quote, cast aspersions on the debtors, CEO Al Gonsolin and other insiders. He added that the bondholders are, quote, frustrated because the debtors wouldn't do things the way they wanted it done by accepting the bondholders' dip proposal. Califano said that the Blue Torch loan may have been, quote, creative, but that it is not prohibited under the five and a quarter notes indenture. He asserted that the debtors have given the bondholders reasons why the debtors chose not to enter into a non-disclosure agreement with them before the bankruptcy filing. The bondholders are now acting like, quote, a bunch of petulant children, Califano said. He added, quote, we intend to file a plan and exit Chapter 11 quickly. Quote, we hope the bondholders get on board. If not, we're very familiar with how plans are confirmed, Califano said. On the other hand, Andrew LeBlanc of Millbank Council to Delaware Trust called the debtor's characterization of the trustee's arguments, quote, outrageous, saying, quote, there's no lying about the facts. LeBlanc said that rescue financing for a distressed borrower on the brink of bankruptcy is ordinarily undertaken through a dip process with, quote, the transparency, openness, the opportunity for higher and better bids inherent to that process. And the debtor's own witnesses had stated that they had never seen anything like the Blue Torch loan before.
A second day hearing has been scheduled for April 15th. At a roundtable with reporters this week, PROMISA Executive Director Natalie Juresco signaled that she thought it is unlikely a Commonwealth Plan of Adjustment would be filed by the end of April, adding that it remains to be seen whether the government debt restructuring would entail cramdowns. Quote, I don't think it's highly realistic to do this by the end of April, Juresco said, calling it the April timeframe outlined by the Oversight Board Council at the March 13th omnibus hearing a, quote, at best scenario. Other topics from the roundtable included the recently published Duff and Phelps report, more on that in a minute, and the Oversight Board's March 15th letter uh, issuing a notice of violation to Governor Ricardo Rosseo regarding the March 10th fiscal plan. On Thursday, certain members of the PBA Funds Group and the QTCB Note Holder Group, along with bond insurer Assured Guarantee, moved for judgment on the pleadings regarding the adversary proceeding by the Oversight Board and the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors challenging the public building's authority leases. The bondholders and Assured's motions argued that the PBA leases are valid under both the Commonwealth and federal law, and that nothing in the complaint's allegation or the leases attached to the complaint compel a different conclusion. Intervenor parties in the PBA proceedings filed their answers earlier in the week. The QTCB note holder group and the PBA funds asserted counterclaims regarding administrative expense priority and claim allowance. On Wednesday, Justice Secretary Wanda Vasquez-Garced said that the Justice Department plans to interview former PROMISA revitalization coordinator Noel Zamet regarding recent allegations he made against unnamed Commonwealth officials. Also, Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority Executive Director Christian Sabrino urged the Oversight Board in a Tuesday letter to submit to the governor, quote, as soon as possible, a list of potential nominees for the revitalization coordinator post for his evaluation and consideration. The week's action followed the release of the long-awaited Duff and Phelps report last Friday, March 15th, on the bank and investment account balances held by 164 Commonwealth entities and instrumentalities. The Oversight Board has signaled that even with the new report, the, quote, comprehensive forensic investigation into the liquidity of the Puerto Rico government will continue. After reconciling the financial information provided by the Commonwealth and the financial institutions holding the funds, the report found a total of 1,159 accounts with a total of value of about $10.2 billion belonging to Commonwealth entities and instrumentalities as of June 30th, 2018, the Oversight Board said in a press release. Other top red stories of the week were Bosch files complaint against Johnson Control subsidiary in German court related to power solutions sale to Brookfield. J.Crew reports 14% year-over-year drop in Q4 gross margin, adjusted EBITDA of negative $31.9 million on $39 million inventory charge. Bristow Group secured bondholders mandate PJT Partners as financial advisor. As always, here's Jim Holloway in Houston with the week ahead. Thank you, and here's what we have this week. Monday, March 25th, a confirmation hearing in LBI and a UCC formation meeting in PHI. Tuesday, March 26th, a planned confirmation hearing in Aegean and fourth quarter earnings and a conference call from Cons. Wednesday, March 27th, an evidentiary hearing and status conference in Exco, and a preliminary injunction and omnibus hearing in PG&E. A motion to dismiss in Puerto Rico related to the equal protection litigation on behalf of 10 U.S. citizens living in Puerto Rico. 
There's an early tender deadline for several of the notes in Endo's tender offer and the expiration of Bombardier's cash tender for its 2021 notes. There are earnings and a conference call from Iconics. On Thursday, March 28th, a dip hearing for Payless. Friday, March 29th, the expiration of Navios's exchange officer offer, excuse me, and a since tender for its 4% converts expires at 5 p.m. And Saturday, March 30th, a coupon payment is due on Monotronics term loan. And make sure you check our week ahead, published every morning, every Monday at 6:15 a.m. for our calendar and complete commentary on the week's big events. And back to you in the office. Thank you, Jim. And now, Mark and Harvard on the middle market. Thank you, Connor. So I'm here today with Harvard Jung, and this is going to be a new session for us. Uh, hopefully, we will repeat it. But at Reorg, uh, we get a lot of questions on middle market names, too. Uh, seems like a lot of people want to be in that uh, in that space. Everybody defines middle market differently. So for these purposes, I am going to define middle market as less than a billion dollar uh, capital structure. Um, so you'll definitely hear uh, some themes today. Uh, we're going to talking about four names, uh, Bellatrix, Alta Mesa, Cloud Peak, MoneyGram. Two of them are in the energy space. Um, three, I guess, if you uh, include Ca- Cloud Peak and their, um, their coal business. And um, all of them might be involved in some sort of um, restructuring, or at least there are some questions about um, capital structure, sustainability, uh, and many of them have upcoming maturities as well, which is really bringing the um, issue uh, to to the present. So with that, Harvard, let us jump right into it. So the first one, I, I mentioned uh, Bellatrix Exploration, to name that you know very well, uh, company has $328 million of debt. Uh, they have maturity uh, later this year. Revolver, $44 million uh, was drawn as of September 30th. And uh, company said some interesting things, I think, uh, in their latest uh, financials. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what Bellatrex does and why uh, we are talking about them today. Yes, thanks, Marks, for having me. Um, so, Bellatrix Exploration is a um, Calgary, Canada-based light oil and natural gas company, and it's mostly focused on um, Spitter River uh, liquids-rich natural gas plays. So, the challenge they're facing um, is that the Canada's um, natural gas, using Echo hub prices in Alberta, uh, has long sold at a discount to the uh, the U.S. Henry Hub benchmark, Louisiana, and this is um, because of um, you know pipeline constraints um, because they have difficulty transporting the product to uh, to um, distant markets in the south, and we've reported that the um, the unsecured note holders on the restructuring front uh, are with uh, Stevens Inc. and Paul Weiss, and the company is advised by uh, National Bank Financial Markets and uh, law firm Goodman's. I wrote a story earlier this month that uh, the two sides are uh, talking about a debt for equity swap, um, but they did not agree on the on uh, the financial terms of a deal and the 
situation uh, remained fluid. Um, Bellatrix actually came out um, on March 14th and said that a refinancing um, of the uh, 2020 unsecured notes uh, and a credit facility extension um, are items in the ongoing discussions with uh, creditors. Um, for the most recent results, other reported um, on March 14th, which is you know, last week, uh, that there's a substantial improvement of cash generated from operations uh, to 28 million uh, Canadian dollars in the fourth quarter, and uh, fourth quarter revenue actually. You know, actually deteriorated um, though because of uh, sales volume decrease and uh, realized price drop. The company reported uh, 33 million um, dollars of availability under uh, its revolver at the end of last year. Great, and you mentioned um, you know bits of the capital structure. We talked about the revolver that comes due in uh, 2019, and then you also mentioned the uh, senior notes due 2020. Um, there's a hundred and little over 150 million of those outstanding and. Um, I see here they come due in May of um, of next year. Uh, so definitely something to uh, to keep an eye out on, and um, it's actually a topic that we have been uh, following a lot here at Reorg with natural gas prices and uh, a lot of disruption and changing prices ba- prices based on where you are in the uh, in, in the country uh, from new pockets of natural gas that's displacing us uh, some others. So um, definitely a theme that we know here uh, well, and um, thank you, and a name we'll keep an eye on. Uh, so another energy name, a um, little bit a uh, little bit different um, a commodity that, that they're going to sell, but uh, one um, with potential... Um, Issues, I guess, uh, to, to, to say the least. Um, Alta Mesa, uh, you know, is one a little bit uh, larger, 960 million, uh, sorry, of uh, total debt. The uh, company does um, both um, upstream and uh, they have a midstream business. Uh, so very interesting organizational uh, chart. Um, debt, I know, is, uh, is, is split um uh, based on where they are in uh, in the in the company, uh, whether it's in the upstream or the midstream part. Uh, so, with that, um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that one? Sure. Uh, so my colleagues on um, Jim Holloway in Houston and Krishan here in New York actually opened coverage for us on um, Alta Mesa. This is a um, Riverstone-backed upstream and midstream oil company, as you said, focused on the uh, the stack play in um, Oklahoma. And my friend Jim Holloway f- um, founded this bid, and I wanted to mention it because it's um, kind of like an interesting anecdote that Alta Mesa CEO, James Hacknett, uh, Hackett, actually, uh, who is the former CEO of Anadarko, um, who has a senior, uh, have a, a master's of uh, theological studies degree from Harvard Divinity, Divinity School, and reportedly taught uh, moral leadership at Rice University. So I think this is interesting. Um, <laughs> On the uh, operational, you're not, you're not implying anything, right, Harvard? <laughs> nope, nope. Um, on the explorational, uh, on the EMP front, they uh, had consistent um, production volume shortfalls despite significant capex and some uh, technical challenges, including spacing. And sources that I've spoken with actually um, raised questions about the uh, the quality of their assets. Um, I think that company actually came out and said. Uh, ex- 
um, the company actually expects to record a two billion dollars um, impairment expenses at the, uh, the upstream um, boxes and the uh, and another like 1.1 uh, billion for uh, the midstream segment in the fourth quarter uh, of last year. Uh, and in the midstream segment, uh, the company faces uh, sluggish activities. And midstream um, sources mentioned that um, midstream only works when your uh, mid uh, when your upstream works. Uh, on the restructuring front, uh, my colleague, um, uh, my colleagues Andrew Berlin, Jim Holloway, and I, uh, we wrote a story earlier this week that the, uh, the unsecured note holders at the um, upstream box are working with law firm Davis Polk. And this month, uh, the company warned that the lenders could stop making a revolver available um, if it fails to comply with the leverage ratio covenant related to um, its uh, semi-annual redetermination. For the most recent results, um, Alta Mesa delayed reporting uh, Q4 actually after identifying um, ineffective internal control uh, over financial reporting. Um, the company put out a preliminary um, uh, result report uh, saying that it actually guided 2019 production uh, to um, 29,500 uh, to 31k, uh, 31.5k. Um, barrels of oil equivalent per day. Uh, this is far below their 2018 guidance uh, they put out a year ago. The 2018 year-end proved reserves actually declined 13% to um, 158 million um, barrels of oil equivalent uh, from a year earlier. And for this quarter, the company also um, has um, cut back production. Mark. Great. And um, to you know, put some numbers in perspective as well related to the capital structure. I said earlier, $960 million in total debt. 780 of that as of February 22nd was at the upstream box and uh, $180 million about uh, at the... Um, at the midstream box, both, uh, interesting enough, are up um, the upstream rather significantly uh, from December 31st. So uh, another name that we will definitely keep an eye on, and uh, you know, of course, um, Stack is uh, is is part of the United States that we actually know pretty well and followed um, other companies um, that are in and around uh, that play as well. Jones Energy is one, for instance, that that comes to mind. Um, Another uh, one, let's switch out of the uh, energy or uh, oil and gas space, but stay in the commodity space, uh, Cloud Peak. Always fun to um, see cold names that haven't restructured yet. Um, but uh, the company issued uh, some uh, some warnings recently, or actually um, even even further, they um, uh, did not pay a, a, an interest. Uh, they did not make an interest payment that was due uh, recently and entered a 30-day grace period. Um, so, uh, Harvard, why don't you uh, discuss? Um, Coal company Cloud Peak. Yes, Mark. So Cloud Peak is a um, Wyoming-based mining company. Uh, it referred to itself as one of the largest U.S. coal producers and the only pure play on um, Powder River Basin um, player. Um, the problem is pretty well telegraphed for um, the U.S. Um, coal industry. Uh, we've seen a um, couple of um, uh, prominent uh, coal producers that filed, including uh, Mission Coal and Westmoreland. And, um, chapter 11 filings. On the restructuring front, uh, my, my colleague Andrew Berlin and I wrote a story last month that the, the second lien notes um, 
are working with uh, Ho and Loki as financial advisor and Davis Polk as the the group who was actually considering its options uh, in the event of a restructuring um, or asset sales in in or out of bankruptcy. The company engaged Centerview Partners, FTI Consulting, and Vincent Elkins. And last Friday, the company uh, said it would not pay, like you mentioned, uh, a uh, 1.8 million coupon due on its uh, 2024 unsecured notes um, and entered a uh, 30 day grace period. The company's um, third party surety bonds counterparties actually demanded increased collateral or replacement of their bonds. Uh, the company um, had to cash collateralize a uh, 12 million difference between the borrowing capacity and debt out- outstanding under the uh, account receivable securitization program um, as of March 8th. Uh, the company actually warned that it may file for bankruptcy um, mid-April at the end of the grace period. Um, and Cloud Peak reported uh, 65.5 million of, of liquidity at the end of last year, uh, and it said the company expects to um, continue using additional cash, uh, which would further um, reduce the liquidity. Uh, on the, uh, about the recent results, um, both adju- adjusted EBITDA and uh, revenue dropped uh, in 2018 uh, from a year earlier uh, because of um, lower coal prices and decreasing uh, volumes. Great. And um, yeah, I clarify, though, the, uh, the, the Chapter 11 warning that was if they uh, did not pay um, their, uh, their their coupons. So they are in a grace period um, and, uh, and and likely talking to uh, to different constituents. Uh, the you know one thing having covered some other coal companies, the uh, the surety bonds uh, that's definitely something to to keep an eye on um, and uh, could definitely cause a, a squeeze here. So uh, a name we will be uh, be, be watching. Um, so now let's leave the commodity space and move on to the financial sector. Uh, MoneyGram uh, is a company that that you also uh, follow. Seven hundred and um, sorry, nine hundred million in debt, all in. Uh, um, in a term loan company also has an undrawn revolver. That revolver comes due later this year. Um, actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of restrictions on that um, that that revolver. And then the uh, the 980 million, the 900 million um, of outstanding term loan that comes due in March of next year. So. Take it away, Harvard. Well, tell us about MoneyGram. Yes, Mark. MoneyGram, uh, it's a well-known name. Uh, it's a Dallas-based money transfer services company. Um, sources mentioned that they actually stepped up efforts to uh, obtain detailed personal information from customers uh, to better prevent fraud. So that's kind of like um, uh, why people are you know, uh, watching this name. And as a result, revenue took a hit on fees, which you know, they collect and um, that actually the fees actually accounted for almost all of their uh, sales in the fourth quarter. Uh, and people have been mentioning this could be a turnaround story, and the company um, actually set revenue and adjusted EBITDA uh, should um, show growth in 2020 uh, on a constant currency basis. Uh, on the restructuring or refinancing front, I wrote a story last month that a company sought feedback from uh, existing lenders and potential investors about a refinancing of its uh, $904 million uh, term loan 
around during March 2020 that would entail issuing um, preferred equity uh, to take out a portion of the, uh, the term loan facility and extending the remaining portion. Alternatives uh, to the preferred tranche could include uh, junior lien or unsecured debt. The company uh, said in February that it aims to refight the other term loan due in March 2020 by May. Um, the and MoneyGram said pricing and other terms will likely worsen um, and it, would, it could add a um, subordinated tranche to the structure. For the most recent results, uh, MoneyGram said revenue and adjusted EBITDA would uh, decline this year as a uh, step up efforts to, uh, to uh, get um, uh, detailed information from customers um, to better prevent fraud, that would um, drive attrition. The company reported a Q4 revenue and adjusted EBITDA that actually beat um, revised guidance provided in November. So that's uh, the story at um, MoneyGram. Yeah, and you mentioned um, you know the, the the fraud issue, how they're stepping up uh, you know their efforts, um, perhaps spending a little bit more could benefit um, you know the company uh, certainly on um, on the attrition front. But um, you know it's also a reason why uh, they could be. Um, why we're talking about them, or one of the reasons why we're talking about them now, um, you know, because uh, last year they had settled with the uh, the FTC um, right over um, some uh, some violations. Um, uh, I, I think it was a little while ago, but um, the recent agreement um, with the FTC was that MoneyGram would have to pay 125 million dollars to settle those allegations, uh, 70 million of which they paid in November. Um, and the uh, the rest would be paid uh, in in the future. So that was one of the reasons also why um, you know the company is uh, is perhaps in trouble right now. So I appreciate it, Harvard. Um, this has been uh, great. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed as well. And um, I think this is something that we'll uh, we'll do on a regular basis going forward. So thank you, and uh, Connor, back to you. Thank you for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find all Reorg podcasts on our site's media page, on iTunes, and on SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I am Connor Skelding.